0: Hello and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mosk, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing Going Postal by Terry Pratchett and the Harry Potter fanfic Little Red Courgette by Blame Brampton. Oh, and welcome to episode 55. There's a form for that. I'm Alex, and I'm the Copyright Office.
1: I'm Freya, and I'm the Department of Health. I'm Macy, and I'm the
2: Patents Office.
0: We are 3 redheaded fantasy authors. And today we're talking about bureaucracy and systems, and Macy and I are <laughs> getting to revisit one of our favorite arguments yes. to have with each other. It's been two years, and we still haven't found... A winner of this argument. We still disagree. I'm looking forward to it. But before we get into all that, what have we been reading,
1: fellow serpents? I've been reading a lot in the tail end of January in an attempt to distract myself from the fact that the country is on fire. Yep. So shout out to three particular favorites. I read a novella that is upcoming from Tour.com, The Empress of Salt and Fortune, by my agent sibling, Nivo which is a really delightful self-contained little story which has a lot to do with memory and the anthropology of objects Mm. and slightly unreliable narrators, I would say. Anyway, I know Alex has some stuff to say about this one as well. And Badass Ladies. Badass Ladies. The Anger of Badass Ladies. Very good Mm. little book. I also read a book that is not coming out for quite a while. This is a book called She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan and it is a reimagining of a certain period in Chinese history about a young peasant girl who assumes her brother's identity when he dies and tries to chase his fate, which involves her becoming a monk and then becoming a soldier and eventually becoming the emperor. It's a very good Chinese history with a little bit of fantasy dripped over the top epic tale and it's the first in I think a series so look out for that one in 2021 by which time you may have all forgotten that it exists. (laughs) Sorry
0: (laughs) it's really good. Listen it is really good
1: I'm about halfway through it. (laughs) Shelley is a friend of mine so I got hold of this book very early.
0: Damn you both. I'm sure we can manage to get it for you as well, Macy.
1: <laughs> and finally. We'll ask her very nice. And finally, I read a Frances Harding book that I hadn't read before, which I had been saving for myself like a delectable mm. treat, which was A Skinful of Shadows. And like all of Frances Harding's books, this is about a young, angry girl protagonist. In this case, the protagonist has the ability to take the souls of dead people or dead animals into her own mind and body Ooh. and very early in the book she accidentally gets possessed by this dead spirit of an angry bear which she <laughs> then carries around inside her head for the rest of the book but it's also about like creepy families and conspiracies and mm. it's very gothic in tone but really delightful nice meanwhile
2: i have been traveling uh a lot and i did two conferences in three states in 10 days so please kill me um I packed so many books, you guys. I was going to be so good and read so many things. Did I read a book while I was traveling? Did I fuck? No. No. I read... I already know the answer. That's <laughs> the lore of travel. <laughs> it's. I, I read maybe 500,000 words of scum villain fic, probably, at least, on various planes. And I Legitimate. reread some Astolat because that's how planes work. Um, right. But I am also eight episodes into a new sea drama called The Joy of Life, which is entirely our friend Grace's fault. Um, And this one is kind of a transmigration-based court-slash-rouchard drama, Um, but the protagonist kind of knows exactly how that genre works and is extremely genre-savvy and it's hilarious. But I am now suspicious that every intelligent character on this show might also be a transmigrator from our world. Um, So I'm having a lot of fun. It's on YouTube.
0: I watched like half of the first episode and then I was like, no, I don't have time to get into a new thing right now. This looks great, though. The, the
2: first episode includes the main character as a baby in a bamboo box being like kidnapped by a ninja. It's great. And yeeted. And they throw the baby in the box, which is definitely what one is meant to do with babies. I have learned.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I have also read The Empress of Salt and Fortune, uh, which was, as Freya already mentioned, a delightful little novella, really just a beautiful, perfect, bite-sized tidbit of, of story and uh, highly, highly recommend. Uh, I also got all nostalgic for Terry Pratchett after I read the tentpole for this episode, and so I started rereading Small Gods, uh, and I'm only a couple pages into it, but god i miss him Mm. uh let's not get into it we're gonna get into that later probably (laughs) uh i've read many many more untamed uh fanfics which has still been great uh and i'm slowly working my way through a declaration of the rights of magicians by h.g perry which is a very cool novel that will really appeal to fans of um, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. It's that sort of, like, enlightenment, um, Georgian era, but with magic. And it's about revolution and politics and really fascinating stuff. Um, lots of actual historical details and a few historical figures in it, as well as original characters. Um, And I have been writing more Untamed fanfic as well, although none of it has been finished. <laughs> so... Yeah. Very good. Um, shall we jump right into the episode? Yes.
1: yes. And We have clearly decided to go fly by the seat of our pants here because we have no introductory dot point before we leap into our tent poles. But we are talking about bureaucracy.
2: I mean, yes. we could
1: also move the what is a bureaucracy up to before the tent poles. I mean, we can. Actually, yeah, let's define some terms. Macy, would you like to define our terms for us? Macy is
2: going to do one of Macy's favourite things because Macy for this episode is Stanley, Macy is going to read from the dictionary. Perfect. Good. Yes. So the Oxford Dictionary, American edition, defines bureaucracy as two different things. Um, One is the system of official rules and ways of doing things that a government or organisation has. And the second is a system of government in which there are a large number of state officials who are not elected. So my question when I was thinking about this episode was, how is this episode different from the government's episode? And I think that it's different because we are very much talking about the first one. We're talking about systems of rules and enforcing those rules. And we're not so much talking about the second one, where a quote-unquote bureaucracy is just a country that is mostly run by bureaucrats.
1: Yes, I agree. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Because we are talking about bureaucratic systems within a more traditionally elected government. Just mm-hmm. the day or she'll. any other form of government. Yes, I was just right. thinking about the tent poles that we have. Well,
2: Ankh Pork is a tyranny. It's true. He has no one looking. elected veterinary. Speaking
0: of Ankh Morpork, <laughs> <Yes. laughs>
2: Alex, would you like to take away our first tent
0: pole and then put yes. it back again? Because I like it. Sure. I have now taken away the tentpole. It is mine now. You can't have it. I guess fine. I will share. Um, So our first our first tentpole is, as you may have guessed by now, Going Postal by Terry Pratchett, which is one of my favorite of the Discworld novels, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably right up there with Monstrous Regiment. So Going Postal is it's pretty good as a standalone, although it does have a second book with the same main characters um and or actually two yeah so it's technically a trilogy with this one main character running through it and i think we did making money
1: for our economics world building episode did we did we i'm sure we talked about it a lot if we didn't tempole it
0: I don't recall. Listeners, honestly. we've had so many
2: episodes that we literally can't <laughs> remember what we've talked about. I know uh, we've done monstrous regiment.
1: Yeah, I don't I think, think we I, did making money. I suppose we are just at all times talking about Terry Pratchett to one extent yes. or another,
0: as is correct, pretty much. Yes, sorry, that's continuing. True, yeah. continue. continue. So moist von Litvig. Yes, moist von Litvig. This is go, going postal is the first appearance of moist von Litvig, who is a con artist who gets captured and sentenced to death. And at the last moment, veterinari saves him from the gallows and offers him a job and says, if you will agree to um, take this job, then we won't execute you. Uh, and the reason that Bet- Vetinari does this is because the clax, the telegraph system, has kind of become a corporate monopoly and the prices have gone through the roof and uh, it is badly run it breaks down all the time so communication in and out of the city is terrible and the post office has been kind of defunct for years and years now so veterinary wants to get the post office back on its feet so that there's a big competitor against the clacks so the clacks will be motivated to get its shit together (laughs) basically uh and along the way moist uncovers a conspiracy and some murders and um, one of my favorite female characters of all time, Adorable Dearheart. And it is incredible and touching. And I think it's one of the first Discworld books that ever made me like clutch my heart and cry a little bit. (laughs) And I think one of the things that we definitely get from Vetinari throughout the
2: entire Discworld series is that Vetinari works on a vetnovvi makes ankh more work on a system of weights and counterweights
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and the clacks were too powerful. So yeah. his his bureaucracy is various other departments and guilds all fighting each other with their rules and regulations
0: so they won't have the strength to challenge him. I was ex- going to say exactly the same thing yes, <laughs> yes. It's a much more efficient, way of him retaining power is if everyone else expends their energy fighting each other um, rather than attacking him. Yeah. yeah. So go ahead and move on for ya. I was going to say that I think
1: this book in itself has three different bureaucracies that are doing different mm-hmm. things. So you've got veterinari's bureaucracy of the city, which you guys have just described really well. Then you have the leftover bureaucracy of the royal mail which is yep. the main one that Moist finds himself struggling with and having to work within. But I would argue also that the Grand Trunk is mm-hmm. an illustration of bureaucracy destroying a tech startup. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, oh,
2: so many flashbacks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is very clearly meant to be that. Like, I mean, even the name, the Clax, is obviously meant to be a fax, but by the time he got to writing around this particular Uh, series of events, Ankhma Pork and the technological advancements in quotation marks had moved on to such an extent that it is very, very obviously, and I'm sure Macy can comment about this, uh, making some pointed comments about what happens when smart engineers find themselves at the mercy of financial people and bureaucrats.
2: Yeah, and I think that um, Pratchett didn't have the opportunity to really get to the heart of social media but I would be fascinated to see what he did because what we have here is bumbling well-intentioned engineers getting suborned, what we have nowadays is arrogant engineers suborning the world Mm. and I would Mm. be fascinated to see his take on Cambridge Analytica
0: God, yes
2: But yeah, I think you're totally right, Freya. There's a bunch of different bureaucracies in this book and some of them are functional and some of them are skeletons. One of them is a functional bureaucracy. One of them is a skeleton of a dead bureaucracy that is being resurrected. Well...
0: I would argue that it's not so much a full skeleton I'm as it not is half dead a feet. <laughs> it's a zombie bureaucracy. Pining <laughs> it's pining for the fjords. It's pining for the fjords. It's like half a femur and a couple of ribs rather than a full skeleton. <laughs> it's an ex bureaucracy. But it's it's it, it, I think the fact that it's old.
1: Is important because it shows you how layers of tradition and layers yes. of rules that seem like a good idea and are based in logic at the time can solidify like the rings of a tree or mm. the rings of fossilization into something that bears no resemblance to a logical rational working system but everyone just keeps going because that's the way it's always been done
2: I believe right. it's Lancaster or maybe York where it is still legal for all single men age 21 and above to mandatorily practice archery once a week. Oh, cool. No one bothered to repeal that one. Also, witchcraft was only made not illegal in Scotland like a couple of decades ago because they forgot.
0: Oh, yeah, bless. right. Just like who's
2: doing witchcraft these days. <laughs> and, and and then like the, half of Scotland pops up and goes, "Well, now you
1: mention it." Right. <laughs> but what what this book does is shows you how different people operate within that skeleton fossilized zombie bureaucracy. Yes, so obviously yeah. Moist is a perfect protagonist because the con artist is very good at both exploiting mm-hmm. bureaucracy mm-hmm. and also knowing when to break it. It's about saying This is a set of rules that are arbitrary, but I can lean into the fact that in everybody else's mind, these rules mean something. And then you have the two people who he works with at the Royal Mail who are very much into these rules for various reasons of (laughs) their own.
2: Yeah. Macy, and tell me about Stanley. I will in a second. I did want to mention, though, also that I think what you're saying, Freya, about con artists and systems with enough rules that there's like wiggle room um, is that leverage does a great job of this and mm, we can yes, talk more about absolutely. that later yep. but wiggling the rules apart until they get in each other's way and you can do what you want is mm-hmm. a great plot line but yes um stanley is bless his heart he's a stamp collector and he is every stereotype of a stamp collector except that stamps don't exist yet yep. so instead he's collecting pins when we begin this
1: book
0: it's so good i love him so much
1: he's very organized he's
0: he's a a stamp collector just waiting around for stamps to be invented (laughs) yep yep oh but um he is
2: the the bureaucrat who is implementing a work to rule strike without realizing it just because that's his nature
0: Mm.
1: Yes. Um. <laughs> and I think my favorite scene involving Stanley is the one when the post office is on fire yes. as he reads out the regulations. It's very, um, I think there was an homage to this that was done in the IT crowd mm. uh, with the char- with the character there who is a, a very, very <laughs> clear Stanley equivalent who, when his computer is on fire, has to follow the instructions and does so very, very, very Systematically, yep. in the same Step way that two, Stanley does. Step shout fire in a calm <laughs> <and>
0: stately manner. <laughs> oh, done. Takes <laughs> it off the list. Attempt uh. to put out the fire. If you cannot, escape. Yeah. If not, wait for death or rescue. <laughs> 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 oh. um,
1: but it shows that, like, I think the whole point of Stanley is that he, do- he never panics and doesn't feel distressed as long as the rules are being followed. Mm-hmm. And that's a very particular type of character that you can use in a various different ways in fiction and it shows like, not necessarily that bureaucracy is a force for good but the ways in which it is necessary to society mm-hmm.
0: yeah it's reassuring yeah. Yes. yes um speaking of people working within this bureaucracy i think it is very funny and very Incisive as Terry Pratchett so often is, that Vetinari has instead of like an official secret police, he just has a collection of clerks who yep. operate in this bureaucracy and who get people based on like fucking tax evasion and the fact that you like forgot to pay your rent. Um, good stuff. Real, just good stuff. It's really great.
1: So, our second tent pole is a fanfic. This is a Harry Draco fanfic called Little Red Courgette by Blaine Brampton. <laughs> this is an old favorite of mine. This is a really, really charming little fic in which Harry is head aura, as he often is, and Draco is working in the Office for the Volumetric Standardization of Edible Wizarding Green Grocery Produce. As you may imagine, this fic has so many vegetable tons. And so many, so many dildo jokes. So many dildo jokes. (laughs) The ribbed cucumbers. They never stop coming, pun intended. It's really fun. But also, one of my favorite things about this is that it does show people struggling again with bureaucracy on multiple levels. Mm -hmm. And bureaucracy is the context in which a romance takes place. It is the tool by which a character achieves victory. And it's also an antagonist. Um, And I think the reason this works so well is because it does what fanfic often does very well and uses this to illuminate character. Mm. So Draco Malfoy, embedded in a bureaucracy, has this immense sense of system and respectability Mm. that he is using as a shield against bad reputation. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, you have Harry Potter, who all through canon is deeply anti-establishment. He doesn't like a bureaucracy. He will tromp all over that bureaucracy, and now he is stuck working within one. And you see in the story the ways in which that deeply frustrates him and the fact that he finds small ways and then larger ways to rebel against the bureaucracy that is stopping him from doing his Gryffindor duty and making stuff work the way Mm -hmm. it should. Uh, One of which is political cartooning, which (laughs) I would not have thought of as a Harry Potter thing, but it works really nicely in this fic.
2: Yeah, it does. It's delightful. Also delightful is like the running um, contrast between the way that the... Ah, words, the quibbler and the other one. Oh, the Daily Prophet. Yes, the way that the Daily Prophet and the quibbler differently represent the things that are happening in the fic mm-hmm. and the ways that they manipulate reporters, um, which is actually something that comes up in uh, Going Postal as
0: well. Yes, yes, you yeah. do actually have that interaction with the press, which is that a pattern of bureaucracy, that sort of tension between ah. like... The system itself and public perception of the system? I don't know if that's so
2: much as, um, I would suggest that the things with the press are about government stories, and mm. not all bureaucracy stories are government stories, but these two happen to be.
1: True, yeah. But I might be wrong. Mm. I think that they're showing the press as having a similar function to bureaucracy at its worst, mm. in that it can obfuscate truth. Yeah. Or, or misrepresent things, or present things that should be logical in a way that is slightly off-kilter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Because, I mean, there should, it, you know, these kinds of things about quibbling about how big is a is a cucumber and or how big is this courgette and what can you classify it as? And we'll have to turn it into a deli mix or we'll have to call it, you know, gourmet tiny vegetables. You know, none of this stuff, none of this stuff is actually the fate of the world. No. But, but somebody has to decide it for some reason.
2: Yes, one of the charming things in this fic is how much joy it gets out of stupid
0: little details. I love that thing. I love it when things do that thing. And like courgettes. Really? Courgettes now? It reminds me a lot of... A particular thing that KJ Parker does in a bunch of his books by using these tiny tiny little details like a button factory and like the diameter of the buttons is like plot relevant for some reason or like someone inventing a certain kind of blue ink but courgettes though okay you seem to be (laughs) fixated on the courgettes tell us about the
2: courgettes (laughs) courgettes are the bane of British gardening
0: oh okay this is this is a corner now This is a a corner! Please tell us the Macy's Fun Facts British Vegetable Gardens corner. (laughs) No, you don't
2: understand. I grew up in one of the shittiest parts of the country to grow anything. It was cold, it was soggy, the ground was made of clay, and even so, the fucking courgettes would grow huge and just so many vegetables that you would be putting them you would be smuggling them onto other people's doorsteps in plastic bags and hoping they didn't notice what was in it before they took it inside freya is nodding yeah that happens
1: here as well we have patients who are like oh i've brought something for the doctors and you're like your zucchini patch is overflowing (laughs) and you're trying to palm it off on us and so this enormous bag of zucchinis just like sitting in the break room and everyone's like we are so fucking sick of zucchini."
2: It's a thing. This is why there's so much like courgette cake and courgette bread, and I'm just like, yeah. "Why did you plant 18 bushes of courgette? They're so spiky. They will bite you. They yeah. will eat your dog. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they can survive so well
1: and make so much. Fun.
0: Yeah. There we
1: go. But Commonwealth yeah. shouting corner. But it's but it's true. It's a fun, very mm. vivid detail that creates a really good sense of world building by going very, very deep into something very, very specific.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Because,
1: you know, all you need is for one person to go into incredible, irrelevant detail about this particular regulation around vegetable growing and you get the illusion that someone has thought really hard Mm. about the world building here, which Mm -hmm. I think is... What we were talking about
2: elsewhere. Yeah, it's a fractal world building,
1: right? And bureaucracy is fractal by nature. Right, yeah, absolutely. There is no bottom to a bureaucracy's rule set. Yes, and so this is, and this sets up some things about by using this very seemingly silly detail. How does the English magical bureaucracy interact with the European magical bureaucracy? Which, oh boy, reading this fic and recording this episode on the day of Brexit mm-hmm. was a little on the nose. Yeah, fine, we, everything's fine. Nothing exists
0: in the world. Everything's fine. fine. My English passport. You're not on fire. I still have a passport that works. It's the day that the impeachment failed. It's why are we recording a bureaucracy day on, or a bureaucracy episode on bureaucracy day?
2: Because this is how we fix it. Because writing (laughs) stories where we pick apart why it works and why it doesn't work is how we fix it in 20 years time. Because the people reading these stories are the ones who are going to be doing it. Right? This is you're why I write. You're extremely right.
0: You're extremely, extremely correct. And that is immensely comforting to hear. Thank okay. you for saying this that. This is why we're insane. doing this. We're That's doing why we're this doing because this. Because of it. Yes. Well, you're- I was
1: going to make a dick joke about zucchinis, but now it feels
2: shallow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's fine. Uh, Freya, Freya, it's fine if you're feeling shallow. I've got a pun. We're going we're gonna to wait for it. It's fine if you're feeling shallow right now because we have a new range of baby courgettes for that.
0: Oh, Lord. God. Jesus. Very good, Macy. Very good. It's for not a discerning witch who is feeling shallow at present and wants something more relaxed. It's not often that we get a really good vagina joke on this That's podcast. Straight, they are few and far between. Well they, done, Macy. I applaud you. We're very proud of you, Macy. <laughs> is you're the star of this podcast today. You were like, oh, I'm gonna be too tired today. But no, you're doing a great job. Thank ah, you for this.
2: Great job with with uh, vagina jokes. Any, we need a there needs to be a better term than vagina jokes, that isn't demeaning. Okay. But is still fun. We're gonna have to think on it, think darling on snakelings. It. Please tell us your favorite term that is not demeaning, but is also fun, oh, and for that, for that, that rolls off your of
1: tongue with the that same rolls off the tongue the same sense that dick jokes, which yes. is like a lovely
0: short sharp statement. The yes. the reason that the phrase dick jokes works so well is because of that repeating k. Dick yes. jokes. That's why it's good. So neither you, of you
1: commented on the fact that I said roll off the tongue.
0: I'm very disappointed.
1: Eh. Yeah. No, that, you roll. Yeah. Anyway, tongues rolling, etc.
2: We'll discuss um, this later. Oh, God. <laughs> on Twitter with our dear listeners. <laughs> Alex, Alex, that sounded like that sentence was meant to end with in my boudoir. Yep. Um, we can certainly discuss it later in oh my boudoir, obviously. Can we continue and have an episode? T- Darling snakes, what do we do with a bureaucracy?
1: Well, I think you've already pointed out one of them. We try and show how things can be better. Well, OK, but like that's like a meta 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 analysis, but like actually
2: practically in stories and fiction and movies and craft, what do we do with bureaucracies? How do we use them?
0: So it's really useful to have kind of instead of having an antagonist, right, who is a character, it's the whole system who is the antagonist. It, it, you're making a face like i'm giving you evidence to support your argument in the the yearly argument later so first of all fuck you macy <laughs> wipe that smug <smoked> smile <laughs> off your face madam darling snakes you sometimes really wish you could get the face journey but most of the time you don't you don't um we get the face journey and sometimes i wish i didn't <laughs> i'm kidding i love your face macy um so instead of fighting against a another person you can fight against a system who is the antagonist or you can try to work within it it can the system itself can provide you plot obstacles that your protagonist has to overcome or work through and because bureaucracy is so twisty and interesting and has so many potential loopholes and ways to exploit it, it means that your protagonist can be a fairly twisty, clever person themselves, and people like to read about that. It's kind of man
1: versus environment. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, and I think like man versus environment, if you're writing an adventure story or you're watching an adventure movie, sure, you want to see them get tangled up in the vines or sinking in the quicksand, but then you want to see them use their environment to get themselves out of danger. Right. Yes. And so I think what you were saying, Alex, I absolutely agree that a really good bureaucracy can be a great plot obstacle, can
0: mm-hmm. be something that someone
1: has to fight against, mm-hmm. but you get the most satisfaction out of it if they then use the bureaucracy to solve the problem and turn yes. it against yes. itself.
2: Yes, yes, one thousand yes. percent. Yes, because you want to use it as a tool. Right. Uh, right? Like if that is the type of story it is.
1: Yeah, which both of those temples illustrate, I think.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I really love reading a bureaucracy or picking apart a bureaucracy to find out about is what are the what is the fundamental engine of your society what matters mm-hmm. what are you trying to regulate and control what do you think is important um and this is why the vegetable fic amused me so much because it's this fucking obsession we have with measurability mm. and like we have to be able to define and understand absolutely everything and A zucchini of the wrong size is clearly unsafe to
1: consumers, which is bonkers. I think it's not so much unsafety, but it's this deep, deep fear that someone somewhere might be getting the better of you.
0: Oh, God. That if we don't
1: regulate the size of zucchinis or courgettes, sorry, I'm I'm very much in the, this is what I call them. If we don't regulate the size of this vegetable, then a farmer might sell me one that is undersized and I might pay too much money for it and I might not get my money's worth. Yeah. And the Europeans are coming from it of saying, you know, if we have one rule for you and one rule for us, we might lose out when it comes to import-export. So I think what's being illuminated in that particular bureaucracy is an obsession with getting fair value.
0: Mm-hmm. It's very
1: it's very much built around a very capitalist structure, that particular it's, bureaucracy. But
0: also it's, you sell them by weight anyway. Yeah, yeah so the metaphor that i have is all three of us are elder siblings do you remember Mm -hmm. when you were children with your younger sibling and you had to share a thing and so you'd get out the ruler (laughs) <laughs> for this candy bar, and you would measure exactly half the candy bar down to the half millimeter, just to make sure that you and your younger sibling were getting exactly the same <laughs> oh, amount. No. We had a you choose, I pick rule. Oh, you that's cut, good I, pick. I pick. Yeah, we had that rule as well. You you cut, we pick, also go, had go, this rule, but you know, you're still going to cut it exactly as, as close as possible because you know your sibling is going to pick the larger one. Well, we also had the issue of if you dithered around too much, father would appear and eat both pieces. Oh, we didn't have that one because he knew that that would start a fucking riot. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying it didn't. One time, one time we had a packet of meatballs and we each had four meatballs and then dad came along and ate one of mine and I have never forgiven him for it. (laughs) But, uh... Specifically, cultural differences. Um, what, A book that I read last year that
2: does some really cool stuff with, like, bureaucratic systems and diplomacy is Arkady Martin's A Memory Called Empire, mm. which has this, frankly, like, ancient imperial Chinese feel to it with how everyone uses poetry and poetic references to do everything. Mm. And so this culture has this huge value and, like, all of the bureaucracies are named after these poetic references. And it just shows you so clearly that they value um, tradition and heritage. But to them, that means knowledge. Yeah. As opposed to many Americans who value, um, oh, I'm Irish, really. Like for them, heritage (coughs) means bloodline. Uh, And so I find that a really interesting thing you can do and communicate with your bureaucracy is what have they
0: regulated and what have they not bothered to regulate? And Mm -hmm. how do they control that? Yes, Mm. for sure. Is it time for Freya to referee round 37 of Alex
1: and Macy's favorite argument? Before we move on, Mm. I wanted to add on that another book series that I think that uses that to illuminate culture quite well is Yoon Ha Lee's Machineries of Empire and the bureaucracy Mm. around the calendar. And it's it's a religious bureaucracy and obviously it's to do with societal control, but that does exactly what you're saying, Macy. It shows by what is tightly regulated is what... The society is trying to put forward as the most important thing you know what i'm linking this to now do you remember
2: donkeys years ago when we were talking about storytellers episode seven was it fairy tales and storytelling around the campfire as the vector for social knowledge and social norms Mm. and i'm wondering if bureaucracy is kind of a post-community attempt to do that from on high it it is a vector for external social control right exactly that it's yeah when you don't trust the bottom up one anymore or you the imperium want to do something different to
1: what the people on the ground are trying to do
0: yeah yeah
1: and i think that i think you can design bureaucracies that are either a very deliberate top down mm. weapon of control and some of the bureaucracies that we've talked about today so far have been slightly different ones, which began mm-hmm. with people attempting to put systems in place to make their lives easier right? and then fossilized with time to become something that was exerting control because it lost track of what its original intention was.
2: Mm. That's a great point. Uh, and you bureaucracies can do a lot
1: with, stratify and yeah. calcify. And you can do a lot with that with world building. Yeah. To say, what are the things that are, currently in place in terms of ritual or tradition especially in a bureaucratic sense in this society that are obsolete Mm -hmm. and where did they come from
2: yeah but you can also look today at like the systems um the ways that the british legal system does violence to like the roma whose way of life is different or like the ways that imposing particular formats of names on people Mm -hmm. in colonial countries destroyed heritage um And that's definitely something to be thinking about is your rules are making everyone be treated the same, but that isn't the same thing as being treated equally. Right.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's not really a bureaucracy, but I was just thinking about people shaking hands and that originally Mm. being to show that you weren't carrying a weapon. (laughs) I I wouldn't describe handshaking
0: as part of the bureaucracy of today's society, but it's pretty ubiquitous. It's ritual. What's interesting to me is that we still have... Certain situations where making oaths is a very ritualized kind of thing. Like when you take office, you put your hand on a Bible and one hand on your heart, and then you take an oath that you're going to serve your office with honor, except that we don't really fucking care about oaths anymore. And like, I'm really bitter and cynical about this, but like, we have completely moved away from the idea that a man's word is worth something.
2: Yes. I think that that... Let's see. I think that has always depended on who the person swearing the oath has considered to be people.
0: Mm, that's I, a good point.
2: I'm thinking specifically about the treaties with Native Americans. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's um, a great point. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, I think that a man's word mean something has only been true in very specific cases amongst those that that person considers to be their equal right or at least to have power
1: over them and that that the ways that we do that and manage that have changed a lot yes Mm -hmm. it's the extent to which the oath is actually enforceable right exactly uh, to a certain extent it has been about personal honor but mostly it's Mm -hmm. been about what is going to happen if i break this and people who swear oaths on bibles I don't know that many of them these days really believe that if they then break that oath, there is actually going to be a God-ordained punishment yeah. for that, which is the implication on swearing on a Bible. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That you are making it in the sight of God, like wedding oaths. Right. In the sight of God, in the sight of these people. You're saying, I am responsible to someone because of this oath.
2: Yeah. And so mm. I think that we, as we lose the tighter bounds of smaller communities, we turn to developing a bureaucracy or a system To try to replicate some of that and try to defend ourselves and our property a lot of the time in our world. That's Mm -hmm. how we use it. But I think it's interesting to think about what other things might a society defend using the tools of rules and regulation, which I think is kind of the heart of a bureaucracy.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's trying to protect itself and maintain itself. Which... We have promised that there will be the usual argument. <laughs> round 37 of the argument. Uh, Surely we're th- running out of time. Surely we don't have time <laughs> for this argument. I am not interested in standing here with a fucking bell and refereeing. Listen, I, I maintain that a bureaucratic system
2: is an object made of people. mm mm-hmm. But it is an object with its own rules that can be interacted with and certainly in narrative modeled
0: as a person. Okay. Yes. We're going to make a real short argument here. So your argument is that the system itself has an intelligence of its own. It's sort of an AI, right? Sure. Sort of. Yes. And I, on the other hand, to this day, still maintain that (laughs) the system is made up of people and it's the people within the system that have intelligence and are making choices. For example, today, my country caught on fire some more. And people working within a system that was set out more than 250 years ago, to prevent exactly this sort of thing from happening, right? The Founding Fathers said, here's a situation that would be really bad. We're going to give you the tools to stop this situation from happening. And the people within the system today decided, well, fuck that. We're just going to let it happen anyway. So these are people within the system making choices that the system itself was designed to prevent, which means that the system doesn't have intelligence. The system is just a series of choices that people are making.
2: Um... I think that what I am saying is not precisely different. What I'm saying Mm. is that the system has a force, not necessarily an intelligence, that compels its component humans by coercion, in this case by coercion of the support of the voter base, Mm -hmm. to perform actions and make votes that they might not individually wish to do. Okay, okay. That they are not making decisions as individuals. Um, and they are not making decisions even as individual representatives of their single state necessarily, right? The members of the GOP, and let's not get too much down, trigger warning, darling listeners, for American <laughs> politics. Trigger um, warning for
0: American politics, indeed. <laughs> but
2: but they're not acting in the best interests of their constituents, even the stated interests of their constituents. Mm-hmm. They are acting as part of, as cogs of the GOP.
0: Yes, yeah um
2: anyway anyway I let's move we on we both this. have good points and we will never agree on this we will never so agree on
0: this but let's, let's do a real quick run through i will i will shake your hand through the podcast and thank you for a good round 37 let's come back for <laughs> round 38 <laughs> in go, a couple Freya, months it
1: was very quick we were very quick We were, you re- were very quick i think we will retire that debate for a minimum of 12 months i will retable it at the next hearing thank you thank you, you Freya. <laughs> Fine. we will
2: we
0: will table it at least on the podcast yeah Yes. <laughs> and yeah. we won't make Freya listen. <laughs> Macy and I will one day have another road trip together and <laughs> rehash it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the other end of the road trip, both of you like pile out of the car, no. <laughs> not talking to each other anymore. No, it's fine. <laughs> we'll just turn on some Lorena McKinnett and that'll we fix We will be talking it. to each other. Oh, the person who's not driving will be sending the incredibly increasingly <laughs> irate caps lock via the DM. Come
0: collect your wife, Freya! <laughs> <laughs> we always have yeah. a good time with this argument.
1: It's fine. <laughs> anyway. Uh, well before we move on to a part of the podcast that I'm very excited about, which mm. is a world building game, do so we please. want to run down a few more honorable mentions of fiction, I guess both science fiction and fantasy, but also yes. non that we think use bureaucracy in interesting ways, especially around world building.
2: Yes, please. We can do one we can do one each. We can cycle around and
0: okay, then keep going. Yeah. Shall I
1: start? I think you should, given what the top top point is.
0: Uh, The first one is Jupiter Ascending. Oh my god, I love this movie. Particularly, I love this one scene, which you can find on YouTube, which is just them wandering around the space station with their robot AI (laughs) um, sort of guide to get the license, which confirms that the main character is in fact the reincarnation of the space empress and it's like a three minute scene and it's so funny and honestly one of my favorite pieces of cinema of all time it's it's very very it's good very good yeah okay. Macy
1: collect your dog point i <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Darling listeners, I must explain that I just typed a cursed sentence um, in reference to the Jupiter Ascending dot point, which was but also the sloths in that
1: one furry movie. What the fuck are you talking about, Zootopia? She's talking about <laughs> oh, the Oh, <DMZ> Zootopia. Zootopia.
2: <laughs> but um, yes, I figured that one of my wives and probably Freya would come rescue me from myself because I had no idea that that was Zootopia. But you know what I meant. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. But in a in a more um, uh, literary merit fashion um i'm going to mention i really love max gladstone's first craft book three parts hmm. dead which is about a bunch of necromancy lawyers resurrecting a corporate god it's so good it's very good and very interesting in like the world building because it's kind of like it's a little bit like pratchett yeah. or like there's bunches of necromancy and high magic except that it's set in a like at least 1980s, 1960s corporate world, hmm. and it's super fun. Um, yes. And the bureaucracies are much closer to what you or I might experience
1: on a day to day basis at work.
0: Right, but yes. with magic lawyers. Mm-hmm. Mm.
1: And drawing on that, we talked a little bit about Harry Potter fanfic, but I think that the Harry Potter book series itself does do some very good and pointed commentary around bureaucracy, and I think it's probably secondary to J.K. Rowling's own experience as mm. a single mother on welfare trying oh to deal with the bureaucracy yep. of welfare, which is, as everybody who's come into contact with it knows, hellish on every level. Yep. yep. And there are some scenes, for example, where Harry has to go and give to a hearing at the Wism garment, um, the increasing uselessness and <laughs> sort of neutral evil of Cornelius Fudge and some and of the I'm other rich. politicians as as, as the um, book series goes on. And, you know, anti-establishment Harry. Yep. <laughs> it really, and I think, yeah, Rowling does have a real gift for portraying the senselessness of bureaucracy as an obstacle. Uh, when you know what the right thing is and what the logical thing is, and you are just being faced with roadblock after roadblock in the form mm-hmm. of people who are subsumed within a system and are choosing not to exercise any independent or original thought outside that system because that's just too much effort, and then they'd have to acknowledge you as a human being and that's hard.
0: Yeah, There's this
2: uh, British sketch show, Little Britain, which is a god-awful show, Uh, but there's this one sketch of just a government worker sitting behind a computer and all the worker ever says is, computer says no.
0: (laughs) No thought, just computer says no. Anything they ask for, no, no. Um, another really good one is, of course, leverage. We mentioned this earlier, um, because mm. a lot of leverage and we talked about con artists and how they can interact with bureaucracy and sort of exploit it, use it to their advantage to um, get what they want. And leverage is a fantastic uh, example yes. of that. Which one would you suggest a particular episode? no it's kind of an underlying thing yeah, yeah. i would agree
1: i would the agree. one that the one that's a parody of the office is quite good i was mm-hmm. thinking of that, that one too. Yeah. yeah but i you know, you're right that it's about both people knowing how to make the rules work for them but also they rely so heavily this group of con artists on the fact that most people will just lean into the system's rules and not engage their brain
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: it's not my fault they had a pass they beeped it it was green they can go yeah. in yep. Yep. No, yep. no, you know, if there is a bureaucracy and a system there, people are not making decisions on their own, and that's that's what gets exploited.
2: Yeah, yeah. If you peel a bureaucracy down to its bones, it's just a system. And con artists and leverage in particular are all about breaking the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, and my one more uh, plug here for you two, actually, um, is I really enjoyed the second. Uh, Robert Jackson Bennett's Cities book, uh, City of Blades. We did the first one for the Spies episode. The second one has military bureaucracy, but also a massive civil project. They are trying to dredge this huge God's cursed harbor. And Mm -hmm. that has engineer bureaucracy,
1: which is great fun because engineers are terrible at bureaucracy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the final ones I will shout out before we move on are The West Wing, which is obviously mm, the classic yes. of how to build interesting stories and interesting character development through a workplace. You know, there's all about the nitty gritty of political bureaucracy and also Parks and Rec. Which is one of my favorite comedy shows ever made, which is all about the workings of a fairly minor government department and the way it uses bureaucracy to create tension, to develop character, to create absurd humor is just a masterclass. Ignore season one, start with season two. Watch all of Parks and Rec.
0: Yeah, and well, I, I just typed this in the the duck. Points, but related to West Wing. What's the UK version with Yes Minister? I put it in there. I don't
1: think Peter Capaldi is in Yes Minister.
0: No, he he was in the thick.
1: He was in the thick of it. The The thick 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 of of it. it That's the one. Yeah. Yes, the thick of it. The thick of it is yeah UK comedy about more about politics. Mm. uh, In the same way, it's it's very similar in tone to Veep.
2: Yeah. I'm going to forcibly steal the reins of this podcast at this point. Do it, darling snakes, because I have a scripted game for you. It's not very scripted. Okay, it's I was going to say, if
1: you like put the script in front of us or are we just... No, no,
2: no, no, no. Nothing like that. I just have an introduction to read to you. Okay. okay. All right, snakes. Darling serpents, put off your snakely skins and be transformed. <laughs> You've written us a speech. How wonderful. I've written you a speech. Of course I've written you a speech. Well, this be- is a welcoming ceremony. Every good bureaucracy has a speech. <laughs> you this are now civil servants mask and roland of the glorious empire all hail (laughs) after an underspecified yet deeply embarrassing incident involving a foreign diplomat and several culturally sensitive waterfowl you have been hastily reassigned to a dim new backwater of the empire congratulations (laughs) you are now the joint chiefs of the brand new hahirsti regulatory body for fishing rights Macy, I love every part of this. Oh, my God. Keep going. Can, can we there go back to the waterfall? Facts, I
1: was very interested in what we did with chickens. facts
2: I may have neglected to mention.
0: Huh.
2: Okay. Firstly, the Glorious Empire is, of course, a galactic imperium um, spanning many civilizations and species, only some of which consume one another for sport. Okay. Uh, her is a recently discovered solar system, and many of her planets, moons, and asteroid belts are as yet unexplored. Second. Why, you might ask, are we establishing a regulatory body for fishing rights in such a backwater?
1: Is this going to have something to do with sentient fish?
0: You're not far off. Continue. I'm very I have sad. a question. I have a very quick question. Uh-huh. When are we going to start our D&D podcast with Macy as the DM? Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of a rhetorical question you don't need to answer. I'll take my answer off air. Thank you.
2: So there we go. Um, so fishing rights. That would be for the space whales. Okay. The probably non-sentient, possibly capable of managing inter-system warp travel space whales. Those. Hahirsht is where they carve. Okay. Several of the Imperium's most prestigious species chiefs are extremely curious to see how you decide to proceed. Okay. You're now in charge. Okay. What do you do? Shit. Um, so this, well, this is to do with whaling.
1: <laughs> we have to come up sure. with a whaling policy for the
0: empire. Well, <laughs> but it's also the only way to travel faster than light between systems. Okay, so it's obviously important. So the first thing that I'm going to do is to figure out whether they're they're actually intelligent because like if they're intelligent, that's a whole other ethical problem that I don't uh-huh. want to get involved with, right? So I will first commission a team of scientists to study whether or not they are intelligent and if they are, then I will send diplomats to the intelligent space whales to see if the intelligent space whales perhaps want to make a treaty with us so that they can transport us in exchange maybe for something that they want that we can provide them. Um, good, healthy trade empires. This is the Alex Roland way. <laughs> So,
2: um, the, you are, you have since been getting about 20 letters a day from various civilizations asking you when they can get back to this space whale business.
0: Okay. How long is this study going to take you? Um, well, it depends probably on how intelligent the space whales are and how much they want to talk to us to tell us that they're intelligent. I would like to ask some clarifying questions. Okay,
1: Sure. I would like to know more about the space whaling business. What are they, what product are they attempting to distill from the whales and how does and no they're it, transport right are they capturing them alive and then using them as transport mechanisms or is there like oh. some kind of whale oil that is the thing that you put into your spaceship that then creates oh yeah travels? that's different. i'd that like could- to know some more details of how this industry actually works
2: yeah so there is no industry these are just teleporting space whales that everyone would like to figure out how the fuck
1: they do it, so they can make use of it. Okay, okay. so the pe- so the people who are writing us letters have been involved in essentially an attempt at research, and nobody mm-hmm. has yet gotten to the bottom of it. Yes. Okay, well, I think in that case, I would, while Alex is commissioning um, diplomacy and communication and scientists to attempt to study the whales, I might start replying to some letters suggesting that we might get further if everybody pulls their efforts in this research and maybe commission a conference where everyone shares what they've discovered so far and what questions remain unanswered so that yeah. if we do actually make a treaty, then we have some questions that could be asked or we could agree on goals. I realise there may be some, inter, you know, to so, yes, you are now getting some,
2: extremely, some exceedingly snippy emails from the chief of galactic diplomacy who wants to know why they are getting writing from the asha and the Ushai species saying that you are claiming to negotiate a treaty between them.
1: Yes, I might write back to the people who put us on this uh, fucking tiny uh, little galaxy place and be like, we would like some help, please. We are but poor civil servants who had an unfortunate incident with some ducks. (laughs) Could you please establish a diplomatic outpost
0: here?
2: They say it smells weird and they don't want to. Okay. Okay, So do it yourself. But you aren't allowed to sign anything. I'm doing my best
0: to establish a diplomatic
1: outpost, honestly. (laughs) Exactly, I feel like there might be some irate writing back along the lines of "If you don't want to put up with the smell, we're gonna sign whatever the hell we want." I feel this may devolve into us like creating
0: an offshoot okay. of the empire and some kind of
1: strange research. <laughs> oh based I think, I, the think I think
0: this I think this definitely ends with me and Freya like declaring independence from the empire and like seceding.
2: Seceding. Um, and may I and- may I say two things precisely? Two things to our darling listeners. One. This is why I won't do D&D with you two. <laughs> but also, this is a problem... Two, with- have you ever met a more Miles Wachosigan approach to space whales?
1: <laughs> but this is the problem with outposts of empire. Yeah. If you yes. send people away to the art end of nowhere to do things as punishment, and nobody else can be bothered to go there, you are going to end up with people making interesting independent decisions yeah. and possibly seceding to form a research co-op.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right.
2: So fantasy NASA... Let us claim that. We have figured out that the space whales are non-sentient. Thank God. Yeah, they are non-sentient. And you now have figured out a way that you can fuel a hundred spacecraft from one space whale to jump between solar systems. And now you have been there for five years. Your research has managed this much.
0: How are you going to regulate who gets it? Okay, I have another clarifying question about the biology uh-huh. of the space whales. Okay. So... <laughs> Sorry, Macy. Sorry, Macy. <laughs> okay. I hope you're doing a great job answering questions. these questions. I'm very impressed with this game so I'm far. I'm you're, do- you're doing a brilliant job. Please play D&D with me sometime. No. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so you said that the space whales come to Haherst to have. So where mm-hmm. are they the rest of the year? Are, is it like is it like sea turtles how they come back to a specific beach to lay their eggs and then they're off like swimming in the sea the rest yep. of the time and you don't really know where they are. Okay. Yep. Okay. They're out in the depths of interstellar space okay so the next thing that we need to worry about is poachers is space Mm -hmm. whale poachers Mm -hmm. well how can there be a poacher when there's no laws regulating how to harvest them well we're about to have some um (laughs) i have great news for you (laughs) so the next thing that we're going to do i think is to start a catch and release program where we tag all the space whales so that we have (laughs) some gps to know where they are and probably maybe if it's possible to regulate to like keep track of whether they're still alive so we know if one of them dies because these are clearly a very valuable commodity and we don't want them to be overfished like the earth whales um, and become an endangered species just because they have a really valuable space whale oil thing that can power spaceships. Another clarifying question. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, the, we are the representatives of this empire that question, do we now own the space in which the carving takes place? Is that part of yes. our empire space okay yes so we have moved in taken over this space in which there is a very valuable natural resource yes that other people have been accustomed to using
2: no one has been using it um or rather right. no one that you are aware of from the imperium at the center of the galaxy has been using or aware of it that doesn't mean no one has been
1: okay True. so we have but it hasn't been galactically amount... used so we have a certain amount of rights to make decisions about this because we are the ones who worked out how to use it. So now it's about protecting research secrets.
0: Are the space whales able to be domesticated? Um, I, s- I posit that that is going to take a long while to figure out. Okay. Yeah, because how, how,
1: yeah, how do you stop them from warping out of their pen? Yeah.
0: Well... How do you stop cows from walking out of
1: their bed? We managed it with cows. We can manage yeah. it with space whales. Fences. How
2: do you fence a warping space whale? Da- darling listeners, Alex now has decided that cows can teleport. So that's fun. <laughs> oh, that's true. They do teleport,
1: don't they? Yes. I
0: forgot about that. Sorry. <laughs> um, well,
1: but... basically, we are we are we are treating this as a natural resource of our empire now. Yeah. That we that we are being. We are claiming the right to regulate because it's a natural resource within our geographic locations and we know how to use it. I mm-hmm. am going to so
2: note this is that, now that you about have
0: not
1: yet investigated whether there
2: was anyone already living in this solar system.
0: Oh, thats is there anyone already living in this solar system? We okay. Listen, I think that Freya sort of implied it because Freya said no one else has been using this resource, right? Well, no, not
1: necessarily. I need to know like how colonialist
0: are we in this? Okay, situation? you're pretty bloody colonialist. Okay, okay
1: so this again what? is going to end up with us seceding for moral reasons. I <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in this
0: scenario, are
1: we moral individuals or are we
0: tools? <laughs> she of the did say empire? she did say that it. Is ministers Roland and Mo- Musk? So, sorry, That's I can't true. pronounce your last name. Sometimes and, and um, we probably have a bit of a grudge against this empire due to being exiled for dark incidents.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you aren't exactly the like um, perfect
0: imperial scions. Okay, great. No. So I propose Freya that we take a policy of what's that thing where you look like you're complying but you're being like super incompetent. Oh, that one. Yeah. There's work to rule, perhaps, but... It's the thing where you're, like, working in a factory that the Nazis run, and so you just, like, throw wrenches in all the the machinery all the time. Um, malicious compliance, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. So
2: are you doing this to the many countries of your empire who are trying to use the space whales? Are you doing this to the imperium? Are you doing this to
1: your own employees? Well, we're trying to do it to the Imperium. I feel it's going to be a good stalling tactic while we try and sort out this. Are there other people who own this space quest? Yeah. And what are they doing with the whales, if anything?
0: So, okay, we're talking about the whole system. Are there people on the planet that were already living there when we got there? Or is the planet like a watery place where it's just fish?
2: So there are a bunch of planets in the solar system. There is some evidence of intelligent life on some of them. Okay. But you can't find anything at the moment.
1: Okay. So I think we just need to have, we need to create an if-then situation, a clause that goes into whatever our policy is. At some point, if intelligent life in, that is native to this system is discovered, then we need to have allowances in our, you know, regulations for, mm-hmm how much rights they will have and, and entering into negotiation and this contract is null and void, etc.
0: Well, what if there are intelligent life forms who, for example, worship the space whales and like killing off the space whales is a really, really bad thing in their culture and we are killing off the space whales for… are we killing the space whales to… Macy, tell me, yes, tell me more I'm about that. I'm still
1: not quite sure if we are yep. just like,
0: shearing the space whales
1: or are we Milking the space whales or are we actually killing them?
0: Like, okay, are they sheep? Are they pigs? Or are they horses? Yes. Um, they are at present with your crude technology pigs. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Could we find a way to make them horses instead? Um, yes, but recall that
2: one space whale will fuel a hundred ships, or you can bolt one ship to one space
0: whale. Okay, okay. Okay.
2: So here's the thing, darling bureaucrats. Um, moral choices have costs. Yeah. Are you going to go to war with the bigger sub countries who would really just like to harvest the space whales? Please. We could... are you going to get the Imperium at the center of the galaxy to give you a navy for that?
0: Well, they think it smells bad here, so probably <laughs> not. Um, and the Imperium also wants to use the space whales for themselves. So unless we want to like go to war and secede then we're going to end up killing some space whales anyway. I think we may need a new space whale, uh, We
1: somehow work out how to get the space whales to carve somewhere else. Because I'm not going to go to a country where they have a particular belief against killing cows and eating cows and be like, no, immediately slaughter all the cattle. But also, I'm going to keep eating hamburgers in my corner of the world where that's not a problem. Mm. So can we somehow, I think the domestication route is possibly the right one. But now we're getting into... Can we somehow get
0: some space whales
1: and get them to carve somewhere else,
0: or we can't. figure out the mechanism by which the space whales teleport and then try to create an artificial version of that? This is becoming much more science fictional research yes, and less yeah, bureaucracy. Than bureaucracy. Yeah. Sorry, Macy. Um.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do like mali- I do like malicious compliance while attempting to find out more.
2: Right, and I think that. Figuring out who gets what rights to do what where is going to be key to the the bureaucratic systems, even for the scientists, because who has access to the International Space Station is politics, global politics, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and extremely contentious. For example, China doesn't get to do anything with
0: our present International Space Station. They have their own. Yeah. So I think the next step, if we're going like pure bureaucracy, I think that... In the grand tradition of bureaucrats everywhere, the answer is to pass the buck, Um, which means that we refer it back to our diplomats to say we're just the fishing rights people. How about you diplomats go figure out whether this is going to be shared, a shared resource? And if so, who is going to share it? And in the meantime, we will um, do our science research and possibly plan a secession. <laughs> yeah, cuz I well, mean the empire may come back to us and be like we
1: need this. Who cares about this religious belief?
0: Yeah. Just take the whale. Or the other or the other people in the solar system who are all clamoring to use it. Like cuz there's a bunch of different like planets mm-hmm. within the empire who are all clamoring and the question is also like how do we decide who gets what percentage of the space whale that we kill? Yep, right? Yep. Well, that's not really up to us to decide in a, de- a democracy, right? Or not a de- in a bureaucracy. Well, I mean, it kind of is. You're okay. the one setting up the rules. Okay. So we need to figure out how often the space whales calve and create. If we're going to be harvesting the space whales, <laughs> this then is we need resource to-
1: management. It's not. Then,
0: yeah. Then we're going to have to come up with a sustainable amount of the whales to be killed per year and yes. not and have regulations to say like no more than 5 space whales can be killed per year because that's not sustainable and the population will start to go down. But what if the cringehed population have a plague
2: and need to be transporting lots of vaccines around really fast, do they get more? Like well there's lots of fun things and we could keep playing for could. ages, but I think we may have timed
0: out the episode. I, I think as so. As you can probably guess, dear listeners, in a bureaucracy, there are no easy answers. Also, creating a bureaucracy is creating
1: power.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yes.
1: And may lead to secession. Yeah.
2: And yes, should not be taken lightly. Please take <laughs> two and go to bed. <laughs> Just secede. Just fucking secede. <laughs>
0: Hey everybody, thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. I don't know that I have much to say to recap this episode, except that Macy is the funniest person on this podcast, and maybe if I cry at her for long enough, she'll DM a one-shot D&D game for me someday, Uh, because that game that she designed for us was super fun. Sorry for asking too many science questions, Macy, and also for immediately going, it's not ethical to be involved with an empire. Step one, secede immediately. You kind of had to drag us kicking and screaming to the actual bureaucracy part of the exercise, and I applaud your patience and good humor. Anyway, we of course have some even more exciting things to talk about on upcoming episodes. On our next episode, two weeks hence, on March 11th, dear God, how is it almost March already? We are discussing the meta text, the story about the story. In a move which will surprise exactly zero of you, one of the tentpoles for that episode is A Choir of Lies by your favorite American serpent, Alexandra Roland. So if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations. Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And by the way, it says here on my clipboard that you've fulfilled your monthly required quota of cuteness for the last 17 months running.